It is just great to see you. And it is a joyful experience to be able to assemble together to praise our awesome God. Where there's a will, there's a way. That's probably an expression most of you have heard. Where there's a will, there's a way. I want you to know because where there's a way, there ought to be a will. Where there's a will, there's a way, that's true. But where there's a way, there most assuredly ought to be a will. This morning and Lord willing, this evening... The sermon topic will be how to help get your family home to God. How to help get your family home to God. How to help get our loved ones home to God. Where there's a will, there's a way. But even more important, where there's a way, there ought to be a will. Think about that title. How to help get your family home to God. Several observations are in order by way of introduction. Number one, it is possible to help get our families home to God. It is possible. But as we think about it, we help get our families home to God. Ultimately, choice is involved, even as it concerns one's relationship with God. And what I am saying is this. A person may have someone in their family that loves God, that is faithful to God, that serves God, that grows in the grace and knowledge of God, 2 Peter 3.18. And yet that person may still have someone in their family that never comes to God or that falls away from the grace of God. Galatians 5 and verse 4. We can help our family get home to God. But each one of us will give an account for the things we have done at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. Listen to me. It does not all depend on us as to whether our family gets home to God. We can help our family get home to God by our own love and faith and influence. But ultimately, a person gets home to God because they respond to His saving grace, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. They become Christians and they are faithful to God. Revelation 2 and verse 10. And so while God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2, 4 is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, 
I want you to know and appreciate the fact that you can be a tremendous help in getting your loved ones home to God and helping them get home to God. But some people have rotten families who are not very spiritually inclined and are children of the devil. And yet they are faithful Christians who go home to God. And some people have the very best of human circumstances as far as faithful Christians in their family are, is concerned and they still don't take it as seriously as they should. Where there's a will, there's a way. But God has provided a way. And all of us ought to have a will to help get our family home to God. Think about Matthew 16 and verse 26. What shall a man be profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? I want you to know there's a way for our families to be with God forever. And that way has been provided by God Himself in Jesus. And our response to Him is important. I want to so help my family to love God, to know God, to obey His will, to humble themselves before God, that we can all be together. But I have to say this. What shall a man be profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own family? What will a man give in exchange for the souls of his family? There's been a way provided. Every Christian should and ought to desire to help get their families home to God. Many people don't. Many people don't. Due to the love of the world, 2 Timothy 4.10, like Demas... Love of the world like John speaks of in 1 John 2, 15-17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. That the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride, the vainglory of life, these things are not of God but of the world and will pass away. It's easy to invest far too much of our lifetimes here in that type of frivolity, in that type of pursuit. We can get our families home, help get our families home. We ought to want to. Many don't. Matthew seven twenty one through 23, many will say unto Jesus in that day. Many will say unto Jesus. The passage begins with not every man who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It's not just a matter of what we say. It is a matter of what we do and show in our lives as it reveals what's in our hearts. How to help our families get home to God. Many do not including 
far too many Christians. If we only could see ahead, if we could only glimpse into eternity and how marvelous it will be there to be in the presence of God forever, if we could only, and the Bible depicts this as beautifully as can be done, But more than anything, it seems to me you suggested this lesson. When I ask you for sermon ideas for this year, and I was so glad, though not surprised, that someone said, I need to hear a sermon on how to help my family get home to God. Because many won't get home. Here's a third observation. Trust God and try till you die. Trust God and try till you die. When it comes to helping our families get home to God, trust God. And try in every way possible to influence them positively until you die. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Read for us a few moments ago in our scripture reading. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 as a springboard for the passage I want us to focus on for the rest of the lesson and then tonight. But first, Hebrew, uh, rather, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. In this passage, God is speaking to the children of Israel as they are about to enter the promised land. The passage is really about how to help your family get home. Old Testament style. How to help your family get home. But the principles contained in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, I suggest really are eternal principles. And that's why I want to focus on them with you. They have a relevance, they have a bearing, they have a New Testament sense that cannot be denied. Get these guidelines, these observations. There's about seven that I see. Observation number one. God's revelation is real and personal. Hear, O Israel. It's called the Shema, and it literally means, listen, listen up. Hear. Be careful how you hear, Luke 8, 18. We ought to give the more diligence to the things that we've heard, lest happily we drift from them, Hebrews 2, 1. Hear, O Israel. 
God's revelation is real. It's true. It's objective. In a world full of confusion where subjectivity rules and reigns, whatever you think is okay, whatever you feel is okay, God's revelation is true. It is real. It is objective. It can be heard. It is substantive. But God's revelation is personal. And by that I mean God is talking to us. God is talking to you. Listen. Hear. Eternity hangs in the balance and you can help get your loved ones home. Surely that is a great desire for us. Secondly, the passage deals with the oneness of God. He is unique. He is the one and only. Hear, O Israel, your God, the Lord your God is one. In a world of many gods, there's uniquely one God. There is really one and only one God. That was true in Deuteronomy 6.4 and it is true on August the 28th, 2022 as I preach this lesson. And it will always be true until those that love the Lord are forever in His presence. Many gods here but ultimately, truly, just one. Then, third, God is to be loved with the totality of our being. Isn't that the great commandment, or at least part of it, in Matthew 22, 36 through 40? Doesn't Jesus quote this very verse, Deuteronomy 6, 5? And combines it with Leviticus 19, 18? See, we're dealing with eternal principles here. Fourth, God's Word is to be internalized. God's Word, His revelation, is to be in our hearts. That's what the passage says in verse 6. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11 Your word, the best possession, my heart, the best place, that I may not sin against you, the best purpose. You see, stop for just a second. Everybody look up and take a deep breath. Ah, that good old West Texas air. After being in East Tennessee for all week. This passage is about families. And it's not about childrening. It's about parenting. Parenting involves making sure our family hears and properly responds to God's revelation. That they know that God is unique and the one and only. And He brooks no rivals. He suffers no substitutes. 
Parenting involves helping our families to see that we are to love God with the totality of our being. That we are to internalize, put in our hearts God's Word. But keep looking. God's Word is not just to be internalized. It is also to be taught. Taught. And the Word of God uses the expression diligently. Those we love, those who are part of our family especially, should be taught God's Word diligently. And notice again in the text, verse 6 and into verse 7, constantly. Taught diligently. Taught constantly. Notice this further. God's revelation, God's Word, His will, is not only to be taught diligently and constantly, it's to be discussed in our homes, in our families. You shall talk of it. You shall discuss it. Our homes should not mark this. Our homes should not talk about politics. Our homes should not talk about sports. Our homes should not talk about entertainment more than it talks about God and what He has provided in Christ. I'm not saying you don't talk about those things at all. But I am saying in terms of perspective and eternity and what God is repeatedly trying to get across to us, first things first. First things first. Hear me, everybody? This is clear. This is plain. Notice again from verses 7 through 9. God's Word is to be taught creatively, imaginatively, and practically. God's Word is to be taught creatively, imaginatively, and practically. So people get it. So young people latch on to it. So husbands can appreciate it. I remember a time that Sheree would have a verse up on the refrigerator door that often had to do with self-control. And I appreciated that. Creative, imaginative, practical help. But here's something else when you look at 7 through 9. It talks about your hands. It talks about your eyes. It talks about your goings and comings outside the gate. Our hands, our feet, our eyes should show that we love God, that we serve God, and that we want to be quick to do the will of God. 
Now what passage are you going to go to, Mike, to talk about how to get your family, how to help get your family home to God? I'm going to fool you. Turn to Hebrews 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning, quickly, we will look at four or five principles for how to help get your family home to God from a chapter that we typically call the great chapter on faith. Faith's Hall of Fame. Well, you stop and think about it. How can you find a better chapter anywhere in the Bible for helping your family get home to God than the great faith chapter? Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? We'll look at ten principles for helping to get your family home to God today. Four or five this morning... Five or six tonight. All right? Principle number one is from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Truly have a genuine and strong faith yourself. If you want to help your family, your loved ones get home to God, truly have a genuine, strong faith in God yourself. Notice how Hebrews 10 ends. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, chapter, 30, uh, chapter 10, verses 37 through 39. We are not of those who shrink back, who draw back, who withdraw to perdition, to condemnation. But we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Because the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10, 37 and 38, quoting... Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Notice Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 with me briefly. Truly having a genuine, strong faith ourselves can help get our family home to God. I love the way the older translations put the beginning of Hebrews 11.1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. Putting those together. Faith is substantive. It is the foundational structure that gives us footing and security and stability in life. Faith is substantive. 
Faith is a matter of evidence of things not seen because God has left His fingerprints throughout the creation, His footprints throughout the creation, and He has sent His Son and given us His Word as evidence of His existence and desire for us to be with Him forever. Faith is assuring. It gives us a buoyant confidence here in this old world as we have to live here. And it's tough sometimes. And faith is a conviction of things not seen. Faith helps us to know and see the invisible. God. And it's by faith that we believe that the universe was created by the Word of God, the power of God. Look, if you will, at Hebrews 11, verse 4. Think about your personal faith. When I think of faith, do I have faith as the substance, the undergirding factor and foundation of all I say, do, and think? Is it based on the reasonable evidence of God's existence and reality? Do I have faith in what I have not seen? Who I have not seen but know is as real as real can be? And is this faith strong? Because over time it's going to either need to be strong or it's going to waver. Number two, from verse four, helping our families get home to God involves this, passionately desiring to worship and praise God in a manner that pleases Him. Passionately Desiring to worship and praise God in a manner that pleases Him. Think about this. God's first controversy with man was in the Garden of Eden. God basically is saying to Adam and Eve, You have paradise. You have a perfect world before you, created by me for you. One stipulation. Don't eat the forbidden fruit. One stipulation. And God is saying, will you trust and obey me? Will you trust and obey me? And you know the story in Genesis 3. Despite God's blessing and being with them in an incredible way, Adam and Eve didn't trust and obey God. I'd say God was the perfect parent, wouldn't you? 
If people in our families sometimes do not trust and obey us while we should be disappointed, we're not the first one that's ever experienced that heartache. Second controversy is this. Genesis 4. Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve. They are asked basically... Will you worship and praise me in a manner that pleases me? And Abel does. And I want you to mark this in your Bible. And think about this. Abel pleased God by his offering of praise and worship to God. If this is the second controversy God has had with humanity, it must be important in a world basically that says to us, it doesn't matter who you worship or how you worship, please see Cain. Please see Genesis chapter 4. And please see Abel as a positive example of how this does indeed matter to God. As we think about this in our families, in our homes. I know that both of our kids and that now our grandchildren have seen Cherie studying her Bible and her time with God, her devotion. And it's not something she does just to make an impression on them. That's not her motivation. She needs that time with God. And I hope and pray that they have seen me often in prayer and in study of God's Word and they will remember the songs of praise that we have sung to God as a family and in private. I hope that they'll remember small groups where we praised and worshiped God together. And I hope that they will remember the assemblies that we have been part of that are a foretaste of glory to come, where we were all praising God and wanting to praise Him in a way that pleased Him. To worship Him in a way that pleased Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Give Him the glory. Do His name, Psalm 29 and verse 2. Come before His presence with singing. Psalm 100 says... In our house, the matter of who will be worshipped and how he would be worshipped was settled a long time ago. And it ought to be in every home. And sometimes we struggle. And sometimes we all do. But I tell you what, We say a lot to our families when we determine that we're going to be faithful to the church's assemblies Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday night. We also say a lot to our families when that is not the matter of emphasis it ought to be. Abel. A great example of wanting to please God in worship and praise. And you know why? Why do we want to worship and praise God so much? Here is a really simple answer consisting of three words. 
God is worthy. He is worthy. Number three. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6, and I love this one. You want to help get your family home to God, your loved ones home to God. You want to help them there? Number three, consistently walk with God. I'd say families are quick to pick up on our hypocrisies and our inconsistencies, wouldn't you? And here we have the example of Enoch. Consistently walk with God. You want to help them get home? It matters to you. It matters to God that we have a right view of helping our families get home. Look at Genesis chapter 5, 21 to 24. Here is something that I think is really interesting. When we think about Enoch, we think about him walking with God. But you know what? For the first 65 years of his life, that expression is not specifically said. I'm not saying that he didn't walk with God in the first 65 years of his life. All I'm saying is the passage doesn't say it. It says when Methuselah was born and other sons and daughters were born to Enoch, he walked with God for 300 years. Now, I don't know if there's anything intended in that passage or not, but I'll tell you this. An expanding family ought to make us more aware of our need to walk consistently with God. Amen, church? When you get married, you take it more seriously. When little ones come into this world, you start to take it even more seriously. And you should, and I should. And I think of the consistency of Enoch for 300 years. He walked with God. That has to be one of the great statements of the Old Testament. And then God says to him, Enoch, You've been walking with me for a while now. Why don't you just come and stay? And he was not. Because God took him. You see, that's where Enoch had wanted to be for over 300 years. And we talk about Methuselah, the oldest man in the Bible. Uh Uh-uh. His daddy was older, wasn't he? Enoch. He still lives. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, Paul would write. That whether I come to see you or be absent, I hear of your state, that you stand fast with one spirit, with one soul, striving together for the gospel. Philippians 1.27 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord as much as you know your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, consistently walk with God. Number four. Now without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to God. He that would come to God must believe that He is, that He's a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him, like Enoch. Now notice verse 7. Verse 7. And Noah. Helping our families get home to God involves properly responding to God's warnings and embracing His promises. Properly responding to God's warnings and fully embracing His promises. In Genesis chapter 6 through 9, the flood. God regretted He'd made the world. It was so wicked. And yet Noah and his family find grace. Genesis 6 and verse 8. Noah was righteous. He was a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2 and verse 5. Here's something that is phenomenal to me. Noah is a picture of getting his family to a place of safety. He properly responded to the warnings of God. And he properly prepared for God and His judgment. When Paul preached before a leader of a government, he reasoned with him concerning righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. Acts 24, 25. The writer of Hebrews would say in the very next chapter, Our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. In the chapter prior to 11, chapter 10, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10, 31. Heed God's warnings and prepare accordingly for judgment to come. And think about it, Noah saved his three sons, his wife and daughters in love from the flood by obeying God. He helped them go safely to new life. Maybe you can help in a similar way, by your heeding God's warnings and properly preparing for eternity. Now, lest anybody feel so low right now that you're going to have to crawl out of this building, 
There's not one person in all of Hebrews 11 that is perfect. That was sinless. Not one. Except God. Isn't that true? You and I will not be sinless. You and I will not be perfect. But you and I, like Abel, can please the Lord. You and I can do that. You and I, like Noah, can heed God's warnings and prepare accordingly for eternity. For life with the Lord. We can do that, can't we? You study their lives. You'll see probably a few things that could have been better. And then you think of Enoch. My life and yours can be characterized by consistently walking with God. What an epitaph. What a life statement of anyone's life. They wanted to please the Lord. They heeded God's warnings and prepared for a brighter future. They walked with the Lord consistently. Through Jesus we can have the strength to do that. If you're not in Christ, how can you help your family get home if you are stuttering and stammering and falling along the way yourself right now and you're lost? How can you help them? I plead with you. To come to Jesus in faith and repentance and baptism and receive His grace and have the blood of our Lord wash away your sins and become a Christian and through the waters of baptism arise to walk in newness of life because at that very point you've reached the blood of Jesus and you will be forgiven and you can begin to help to a greater degree your family. You can help them get home. The older I get, the more important that becomes to me. To help my family get home. There are many in this assembly who have far more behind them in their rearview mirror than they have days ahead. Don't blow the time you have left. Remember what I said? Trust God and try to help your family get home until you die. Try till you die. Let us stand and sing.